Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl and welcome to episode 18 of Cage Rage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. How are you? How are you doing? Has everything been well for you this week? Have you had a good time? Has it been uh, relaxing? Have you had any issues with your bins? That's all I want to know. That's what gets me through most of my days. I've had a good week. I've had a few days with uh, the missus in the Lake District. It was very nice, very rainy. Uh, had a lot of walk-arounds. Walk-arounds, technical term. We walked around a lot in lovely Amblesides. Uh, good for ambling. Rambling. See what I did there? I made made a joke in the name. Hot start. That's what I bring to podcasts, a nice, hot, right-out-the-gate start. Uh, very nice, very refreshing, and it has ultimately meant that um, the the weekly Ian update, um, I don't have one, because I've not, I've not seen him. I've only passed him, given him a little nod, got inside the house, and then just cracked on with my day. So um, if I sound a little bit more upbeat this week, uh, and if the episode is ten minutes shorter as a result, then... Hey, take it or leave it. Could be a win, could be for better, could be for worse. Maybe I'll go outside tomorrow and intentionally instigate a scenario just so um, there'll be something to talk about at the start. Although, ironically, um, it was a green bin week and they weren't taken because I put a, uh, I put packaging for chicken nuggets in the green bin, which I thought was recyclable. Turns out it wasn't. Um, so, you know, this week, 1-0 to, to Ian, so... You can't win them all. That's the peaks and troughs, just like uh, the episodes on this podcast. We go through some good films, we go through some bad films. That's a lie. Nicolas Cage has never starred in a bad film. But speaking of this week, this is a film that some people may argue was a bad film. Uh, we will move on to Deadfall from actually from 1993 this time um as well quickly curtail back to episode 17 last week i did mention no less than three times that amos and andrew was made in 1992 it wasn't it was 93 so a quick uh retcon redaction from there my apologies uh that's what happens when you record podcasts late in the day uh, you get some information wrong so don't worry i've already lashed myself 1992 times to um to make up for my mistake uh, apologies again there uh but deadfall we move on to a nicholas cage film um otherwise known as a crime noir thriller that actually definitely happened in 1993 this time um it's starring nicholas cage of course directed by christopher coppola little family connection there christopher coppola of course was born october 31st 1451 and would voyage across the ocean and discover America and, subsequently, Nicolas Cage. As alluded to earlier there, I must pass on the information to you, my fellow ragers, that this film, critically, was a stone-cold flop. It flopped hard. It flopped hard tooed. It flopped hard with a ruddy vengeance. Uh, one of the few reviews for the films that's positive will be my own. Uh, all of them have been negative, though, if you look on Rotten Tomatoes. Every aspect of this film across the board, royally shit on. All of the critics pulled their pants down, they spread open their cheeks, squeezed hard, and pinched out some royal fudge dragons on this one. 
Um, as I said, holds an overwhelming 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, a ranking of rotten, no less. And to this, and you know my feelings on critics, they're all cowards. They won't look you in the eye. So to this, I say to these so-called critics out there, my offer to fight you all, every single one of you, still stands. Any time. Any place. Give me the coordinates and I'll be there with bells on. So I can beat you with those bells. To Kevin Thomas, who described this film as hopelessly callow. Name a time. To Kevin N. LaForest, who said, oh man, this is so bad. Name a place. To any other Kevins who want some. At Cage underscore podcast. On Twitter. Let's get this done. The other social medias there, of course, at Cage Rage Pod. On Instagram. We're on Spotify, of course. I should probably branch out and put it on some other streaming websites. Apparently that's how you market these things a little bit more. If you have any tips on how the hell you're supposed to market a podcast, uh, please let me know. I'll be very eager to find out. But back to Deadfall. Alas, on a modest budget of $10 million, Deadfall would only make $18,369 at the box office, um, which is basically my annual salary... uh, which is basically my annual salary at my shit show of a job, see? So, in real life and in Nicolas Cage films, sometimes you go in with a huge hope, a high hope, and um, just turns out it's the living wage. So, what can you do? Those those job adverts, they really, they really sell you the dream, don't they? Now, a lot of the fellow Cage podcasters out there, critics, um, seem to warn me that I'd be in for a bad time on this one. I've already told them that before I'd even watched this, this was going to get from me. A 10 out of 10. A Golden Cage, the highest honour awarded on the Cage podcast. Uh, watching all the Nicolas Cage films in chronological order, giving them a rating, you'll get no less than bronze, and you'll always get 10 out of 10. That's basically, those are basically many rules. We, uh, we fly to quite a low bar here. Some may say I'm the lowest bar of all the Cage podcasts. Some may say I'm the, uh, I'm the bad boy of the Cage podcasts. I say that I'm... I am the only person who describes the podcast this way. Uh, we have just hit over 100 followers on Twitter, though. So that's nice. That's um, that's good. Um, makes me look like I've actually got a hog I can swing. So rest assured, I've been swinging it in the Lake District, in the mountains, for all to see, flopping around in the breeze like an absolute laid. Um, but thank you. It's been, it's been very nice. It's stroked what little ego this... Uh, this this boy, this man, this lad, the biggest boy in the damn planet, doubly dangerous, delicious dynamite, damn Daryl Edge. It's uh, done a little strokey strike, so thank you for that. Um, and feel free to follow it, quite active on there. This wasn't meant to turn into an admin pitch, but I'm not going to apologise for it. Don't worry about it. So, Deadfall, going back to this, this legendary flick, this is one of those films that, as I was doing some research into this, a few articles were describing this as one of the quote-unquote cagiest Nick Cage films out there. When I think the Cage naysayers want to say that he's not a good actor or those who are very on the fence and very marmite about him, this is a film they may reference, um, which I find quite, quite odd because in a very strange way, as not good as this film is, and let's make no mistake, this film is only for the people who want to watch all the Nicolas Cage films. And that's what we do here at Cage Rage, Nicolas Cage podcast. We're watching all the Nick Cage films 
on the journey to true cage nirvana this is 90 minutes you won't get back okay that's just the, i'm going to put it out there right now that's just the way this film is but for as bad as it is in the weirdest way nicholas cage's completely over the top performance as uh, henchman eddie is the best thing about the film honestly um if you've seen and who hasn't at this point? The video on YouTube, Nicolas Cage losing his shit, which is just five minutes of him screaming. A lot of gold comes from this when he screams fuck very loudly in the bar, when he screams hi fucking ya, which is now going to be one of my new catchphrases, which I'm going to put into any situation. That's where this comes from. So, but we'll get into those scenes. Oh, don't you worry about it. So let's get into the nitty, and indeed the gritty, as we kick off with the lead character of this flick, Joe played by Michael Michael Bain Michael Bean Bain B I E H N Bean Bean Michael Bean Bain played by Michael uh, you may know him from Terminator from 1984 as um Kyle Reese the leader of the resistance who comes back in time to save Sarah Connor no less um he starts off with his partner. They're two conmans driving to a dockside for a warehouse sting. Uh, now, neither musician nor wrestler. This is when the police lads and lasses fancy a bit and get involved into some cheeky illegal matters for the bants. Even though that's not really what this sting was, it was just a bit of a double cross. Joe's mate, a fat man who looks like an ill Tony Soprano, keeps snorting. Um, I don't really know why he kept snorting. I think. He was probably thinking about just going for a carvery with his lad after the job. It may just be that he's um, a bit of a cokehead. Uh, who knows? Now, I've never taken coke before myself, and I don't know if the way you do it is like how he did it, by just scooping two fingers into a bag and just jabbing them into your mouth, uh, all that powder, and sucking it off like a child with a sherbet dib-dab. The guy they are making the exchange with, uh, Joe Coburn, one of the famous hard men from the early uh, pictures, a lot of the Western films from back in the day. Um, he looks like, and this he looks like is a low-level stand user, um, inexplicably fucks up, outs himself as a cop. We also here get really a measure of the level of acting by everyone who's not Nicolas Cage for the next 90 minutes. And I'm going to play you a clip now, and this is going to be sort of, again, without exaggeration, this is the level that this film's going to be at, okay, uh, that I watched, that I paid my own money to rent on Amazon Prime, and just... He's wired, it's set up! Now, if you were watching this film, some of you may be thinking that I wish that was me that was shot, but not me, because I'm big and tough and I'm the biggest boy. But this is what I'm saying, not even seven minutes into this film, this comes at six and a half minutes in, and it already gets a Golden Globe from me. Nicolas Cage hasn't had a frame of action yet either. He's not going to come into the film for, um, you know, a, a little while yet, but... When you're getting this level of production and acting, actually remarkable. Uh, so after the little sting goes awry, 
the fake Rosers rock up. Joe gets shot about ten times. His fat buddy drives off. Uh, now, it turns out the guy that Joe shot was his father. Uh, but in a little boo-boo, he had actual rounds in his gun instead of blanks. He's got the guns mixed up, you see. Bloody what's he like? A real easy to mistake um, that only Ian would make. But then Ian would be like, oops, sorry, got a, got a slight semi on back there and I forgot where I was. Um, his father's dying words were to Joe, get the cake, which is nice, but my birthday isn't for another month. It's not until September, you silly, silly goose. And so sets into a chain of events of which Joe will now go adventuring to find out what he means by get me the cake. It's you know not the greatest hook for a film, but... Hey, beggars can't be choosers. Beggars can't be Nicolas Cage. So subsequently, Joe's left a key. It takes him to a locker at a bus station. Inside, he gets a little booklet telling him where to go next, gets some information and directions, uh, some info on his long-lost uncle, Lou, who is identical to his father, also played, of course, by Joe Coburn. Oh, by the way, at this point, I should uh, just make reference to that. Joe actually narrates the film as well. Um, like I said, it's meant to be coming across like this serious noir kind of thriller, but his narration, and dare I say his acting, has all the charisma of a wet bowl of cabbage. Uh, that's actually not fair to cabbages. Um, let me rephrase: all the charisma of Ian talking about the bins. Now, Joe, who lest we forget, once led a rebellion against the machines in 1984. Uh, blandly then asks around at the next location, this market marina pier type place uh, at the location of his uncle but then, just when you're thinking oh god, I'm, I'm, I could sure go for some, some suicide right about now at 17 minutes 48 seconds we have our first confirmed Nick Cage sighting, about goddamn time, so Cage is sporting these sunglasses, a delightful moustache and only seems to speak through his teeth. Um, it's like he's got like a gritted teeth and a locked jaw, the way that he speaks. This very weird voice that doesn't seem to be reflective of anywhere, as you might have inferred with other films he's had in the past, uh, like Peggy Sue Gets Married and Vampire's Kiss. Um, in some sound clips later, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It's It's something else. But he's also got a green suit, this colourful pop art style t-shirt, um, or shirt rather combo. It is a look to die for, and I'm incredibly game to pull it off myself. So Cage, aka Eddie, he talks to Joe, um, has a deck of cards with him, a little quirky thing that he does. Eventually takes him to his Uncle Lou. Eddie pops his pills and then just shakes his head like a horse, like this. <laughs> um, it's, it's honestly electric stuff, you should, you should have been there. More electric than that, though, Lou suggests that Eddie takes Joe out for a night on the town. Can you imagine that? Bar hopping with Nicolas Cage, the greatest honour by the greatest actor of this generation. So he has a quick costume change, and now Eddie's dressed in a white suit with a gold bow tie and a gold cummerbund. They pick up Eddie's girlfriend, who is the uh, aloof Diane, played by Sarah Trigger, doesn't look too pleased about being the third wheel. It's actually a very similar look that my estranged father's then partner once gave me. 
when she found out I was a thing that existed. Oh, ho, ho. simpler times. Reflective of that is this. Again, his then partner said the same thing to me in the exact same way. Oh, I didn't feel threatened at all. It looked like I had to pay my dues by wilding with Uncle Lou's flunking. Fucking fucker's fucked! Well, at least he was a lively fellow. So honestly, to say that Nick Cage's character is lively is the understatement of the film of 1993, of the previous century, of this century. Um, we also learn from Joe that Eddie is basically stuck on this consistent high that you get from a successful con. Uh, him is meant to be the cool underdog. It says, look, you can't let the con dictate you. You have to separate yourself from the con. Um, but honestly, I say it's just the natural high that you get that comes with being Nicolas Cage. So with Diane, they go to a bar. They con a poor barmaid out of $200. Next, they step things up and head to a strip bar so that Eddie can give Joe something a little more challenging. Uh, there's a, a large man, a lot of large man in this film, called The Baby, and he owes Uncle Lou one fitty, $1,500. Now, Eddie so, uh, doesn't really think that Joe's going to be up to the challenge. I mean, the real challenge here is not being made erect by the sight of Nicolas Cage at a strip bar, but let me tell you something, that's a challenge I've already lost. Honestly, that clip was just more for me than anything because of the little wow that, <laughs> that Nick Cage does at the end. Probably just a player on being called the baby. Why he's called the baby when he really he is just a man who's flanked by strippers and goons. But, you know, everyone's got to have a nickname. And this next clip, a little more relevantly, is when your partner tells you to come off of a game of Fall Guys because it's one in the morning and you haven't won yet, but you just want one more game. I'm not getting off. I'm not getting off. Jesus Christ, you know you're disgusting with that shit. I'm not getting off. <laughs> we've all been there we've all been there you know uh, now however much to eddie's chagrin joe comes out unscathed with the cash and diane then wants every part of joe's hog now stealing cage's girl from right under his nose that is one of the most unforgivable transgressions I have ever witnessed in the history of Cage Rage. But Diane nonetheless waits for Joe in his motel room, again makes a move on his hog, and although he is initially suspicious, Joe yields to the WAP and sees to it that she's given <laughs> a below average raw dogging. I just couldn't get into this at all. Any hogging scene, honestly, without Nicolas Cage is not worth anyone's time. I don't understand how a family member in Chrissy Cop Cop, of all people, thought it would be in the audience's best interests to deny us a Cajun Roy. Livid is, quite frankly, not the word. So, Christopher Coppola, time, place, coordinates, at me on Twitter, cage underscore podcast, 
you fucks, mate. One of the great mysteries of our time, of course, is where is the Sam fucking pecking par? A complete side note from me, I put the subtitles on for this film, I don't usually do that, but some of Cage's outbursts are so nondescript and indecipherable that you wouldn't actually know what he said unless you had the subtitles on. Which sort of takes us into this next clip, which I believe might be one of the greatest screams of Nicolas Cage's career. And with that said, here's random Nicolas Cage scream of the week. I think it might be the greatest thing I've ever seen. The best 30 seconds of cinema I've ever seen in my life. Um, so basically the context in that clip is that Eddie has learned that Joe sort of uh, played a tricky game. He didn't actually get the money back from the baby. He's just uh, used his own money, got the baby to pretend that everything's been squared off. Eddie founds out that he's basically been played. Also in that scene, um, asking someone if they want to fuck and then fighting them... And then, before punching someone and screaming, high fucking ya, is one of the most wonderful things I've ever seen with my eyes. There was also a guy in the background wearing a t-shirt that said fuck on it. Um, I don't know if it had any relevance to anything, uh, I just found it quite funny. So, um, as you can imagine, Eddie storms outside, and he's attacked by some utter Ian who's been um, inexplicably just been following him from most of the film so far, but it does then lead to this nice heated exchange. So back in a time before Fairly Odd Parents, when we could just blame everything on Dinkelberg, in 1993, if you had a bad day, you blamed it on Sam fucking Peckinpah. Fast forward to 2020, it's Ian fucking Ian Parr. But you think, you think the screams and the let's fucks can't get any more extreme? That does lead then to um, maybe one of the single greatest acting pieces in cinematic history up next. Eddie then goes back to Diane, basically loses the entirety of his shit, um, believes that Lou has conspired against him, and he thinks that Diane and Lou might be hogging, and as you can tell, he's not happy about it. <laughs> Try to kill you, Eddie. The fucking hangers! 
Let me get you a drink. I didn't know you smoked cigars, babe, particularly Louis Brand. Eddie, it's really not what you think. Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> oh, you that fucking low man! Oh, 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 understand why Nicolas Cage genuinely I don't understand why Nicolas Cage has only ever been given a very small smattering of praise and awards when he deserves the world and I'll I'll get his face tattooed onto my face I'll get his face tattooed onto my fucking hog if I have to right um needless to say Eddie confronts Lou and is definitely calm about the whole thing so he confronts Lou about all of this spouting called gibberish and this nonsense. Uh, Joe finds Diane. Diane explains what's happened. So Joe races over to um, where they are. Eddie and Joe scrap. And alas, Eddie is overcome. His wig is removed. The wig is never explained a reference until that moment, by the way. And then, unfortunately, Eddie's face is plunged into deep fat frying oil. Battered cod? More like battered cage. I'll take a fish and cage, please. The body is soon disposed of, and unfortunately, I say this with a heavy heart, and also very much a lot of sincerity, the film just doesn't get any more interesting from here on out, uh, which makes me extra livid. A dead cage and then no more cage when there's about 30-40 minutes of the film remaining. So, being rescued, Lou explains to Cho that he'd needed Eddie for a long con that they've planned, but swaps him out for Joe instead. Um, it's kind of at this point that with the loss of Cage, Deadfall seems to weirdly get like a little bit artsy, uses a dream sequence to get into Joe's head, and show us like some inner conflicts, but the only turmoil is whether to keep watching this cageless nightmare. Um, Lou reveals that the cake is this little sort of ring casing, ring covering that he made for Joe's mother. So both Lou and um, Mike, um, which I probably should have said about 20 minutes ago, the name of uh, Joe's father, were competing for Joe's mother. They both loved her. There's a ring in there, in the little cake. Um, the ring I will now dub the cage is crystal. I'm not really sure with Mike's final words, which were basically, you know, get the cake. You know, they were essentially, your uncle tried to bang your mother, but I don't know, I've never been shot before, so I guess he just panicked and fucked up um it does make me wonder though my final words probably something like beware the ocean men our wives are not safe or see you in hell ian something classy obviously um what are your final words gonna be let me know at twitter cage underscore podcast so the next con sees a cameo with charlie sheen um they take him on in a billiards game where you have to hit the 
corners hit the sides and equals a point or something. Uh, Sheen looks like a wedding singer from the 50s with an evil magician's beard. His character's name is Morgan Grip, but people call him Fats, and his associate is called Sausage. Um, you make your own jokes there. Now, I'm sure that Fats and Sausage were a pop duo in the late 80s, um, but unfortunately, sort of neither he nor... Well, no, Charlie Sheen nor the... It's so fucking odd. This, like, claw-handed, this metal shear-handed Bond villain of a boss he works for... Between the two of them, neither of them are memorable enough to get the film back into the fray to sort of make up for the loss of Cage has been such an explosive component at this point. Say what you want about it being a 0% film, but Cage is really the star of the show here. It is the Cage show, and Deadfall is very much a tale of two halves. It's the film with Nicolas Cage, and then it's after Nicolas Cage um, I did find that once he'd gone, the pacing of the film did take a nosedive, and it just wasn't that interesting afterwards. Now, this claw guy's name is called Dr. Lime. His goons are and they're probably called Dr. Pomegranate, uh, Mr. Banana Peel, Professor Grapefruit, or, or I've just lied about those names, so don't worry about it. Um, so the plan seems to be that Lou and Joe are going to swindle Claw McGee out of two million dollars for some diamonds in this other sting op because the sting ops have ended so well for Joe last time. So now we've got Team Lou versus Team Lion, like a classic Survivor Series elimination tag match from 2001. So the sting largely goes to plan. Lou steps forward, reveals the quote unquote wire as they had with Mikey's father earlier in the film. But Joe freezes, seeing flashes of how he messed up last time and cost his father his life. And this subsequently sees Lou get shot as well. Typical fucking Joe. Classic move. But then we sort of head towards the, the high fucking yah, the final twist of Deadfall, when it turns out in a definitely not convoluted way that Joe's dad, Mike, was actually alive the entire time. The events of the whole film were entirely puppeteered by Mike who basically used the original Sting on Wrong to con Joe, um, con Lou, and everyone else into getting that sweet two mil. Used Diane against Joe as well. I mean, you know, fair play if you can get two mil out of it, whatever, mate. But um, not particularly thrilled that Nick Cage had to die to get here. But you take what you can get, don't you? So Joe confronts his father, eventually holds Mike at gunpoint, um, Joe's a bit fuming, but he just shoots the case of money open and it falls around on a carousel. And then he sort of relays to the audience through narration that um, taking memories are worth more than any con. Um, well, they're not. Two million dollars is probably worth a little bit more, but what do I know? I, I just record the Nick Cage podcast in bedroom and I'm not even wearing trousers. I'm just in a t-shirt and underwear because I'm very very warm um but yeah and that there and therein comes to the end of deadfall the end of the rotten tomato zero percent film you know what in all honesty i think and maybe this is just me giving it a tiny bit more credit than it's worth but i think it was a little bit better than zero percent maybe five um i mean in terms of my rating which is the most important one obviously 
Um, it gets 10 out of 10. Golden Cage. This is, as they said, a very, very cagey film. So you can probably, I think you can just find a compilation of the cage clips online on YouTube, which are really the best thing and only thing watching about this film for all the fucking memes and gifts that it's um, produced as a result. But there's just, after he goes, there's, there's just so little reason to keep with it, honestly. It just gets a lot of red herrings, a lot of just forced pieces to make the film just go in a different, less interesting direction. Um, Michael Bean, I don't know how to say his last name. Um, you know, he's meant to be the cool con man from the get-go, but he's so stale and wooden, um, just not, just not convincing as um, a lead man. Fortunately, when he was actually, when he's not a bad actor, I think this is just kind of what happens when you um, you just get a bad script and you just let people run with it and you don't control it. Um, I think if it had lost a few things, like the they just had the twist that maybe Nick Cage's character would have been the main villain. It would have been a much more convincing end um, because they get the only good parts of the screen time. Charlie Sheen didn't need to be in it. The claw guy didn't need to be in it. They didn't really need to be the twist with Mike's dad being, with Mike the dad being alive at the end. But you know what? Let's do a Kickstarter. Let's remake Deadfall. Let's give Nicolas Cage all the parts, and I think we could be onto something, and uh, we can really redeem this thing. You know, but. As far as Cage films go, Cage's Cage films, it's it's going to be up there with Vampire's Kiss, The Wicker Man, um, for his performances alone. It's really, really good. Just Google, uh, just YouTube Nicolas Cage, Deadfall, and you'll get some gold, some absolute 24-karat gold, and save yourself about uh, 80, 85 minutes in the process as well. So as ever, Nicolas Cage, the golden god of acting, saves yet another film from the dregs of hell, we move one step closer to true cage nirvana in um, in our ever-continuing journey to watch all of his works. And that brings us to the end of episode 18. So thank you for listening, if you have been. Again, you can check us out on Twitter, at cage underscore podcast. Uh, we're on Instagram, at cage rage pod. You can find us, if you want to throw something towards the podcast, if you've enjoyed it and think it's worth anything, uh, Kofi.com forward slash Daryl Edge, D A W R Y L E D G E. Um, we are on YouTube in Drips and Drabs as well, and Spotify, of course. If you think that was anyone that would enjoy um, Nick Cage's number one dick rider, um, a man who firmly believes in his bones, in his DNA, that Nicolas Cage is the greatest actor of our generation, throw him this way. Would love to have him. Always room for more on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. But we round off now. We'll see you next week for episode 19. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, but until then, keep on, keep on caging. Uh, bye. Quick edit. This is what I'm going to say the next time Ian takes my bins out without fucking asking. You filthy, double-crossing, little fucking filthy, double-crossing, filthy, fucking goddamn fucking filthy little brat!